may be seated. Isn't that a great story? I was glad to hear you laughing because it is, it's an absurd story, really. I mean, it's bizarre how the story plays out. And that, we'll be talking about that passage in just a moment. Let's, let's start with a quick word of prayer and we'll jump in. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for opening up space for us to gather together, to see one another, to speak, and to hear one another, to encourage one another, and to be together in your presence. Shape us, Lord, today to be the people you've called us to be. Amen. So the Gospel of John opens with at least two astounding claims that we have to reacquaint ourselves with over and over again as Christians because they're basic to our faith. The first astounding claim is that Jesus is the revelation of God, both to God and to us. We're told in the opening verses of that prologue that in the beginning, the Word who is God is with God. The Word who is God is with God. And that Word has come to us and tabernacled among us, has taken up space and time in our midst. Which is a way of saying that this Word, this revelation, this fullness is there for God and for us. When God wants to know what God is like, He looks at his own word. When we want to know what God is like, we look at that same word. So that what God knows of God and what we know of God are the same. That's God's purpose in revealing himself in Jesus Christ. That what God knows of God and what we know of God can be the same. That there's there's not something behind the revelation we've been given that we have yet to learn. The fullness of God is in Jesus Christ. And the second astounding claim is that we can be like Jesus, that we can be so joined to his life, so share in his identity and his communion with the Father, that we can be who and what he is. We're told again in those opening verses that he is God and he is with God. He is with God. And then he tells the disciples later in the story that he is going to prepare a place for them that where he is, they may be too. And where is he? He is with God as the fullness of God's character. That's what Jesus prays for us. That's what Jesus has made possible for us in his life and death and resurrection. And that's why we're here, to become that kind of people, people who know Jesus as the fullness of God and in our sharing together in his life become like him. So the whole Gospel of John then is a story meant to draw our attention to those two truths. As we contemplate what happens with Jesus, we are seeing the fullness of God. As we reflect on who he is and what he's doing and what that means, we begin to become like him. And this story that we're going to look at this morning, the gospel reading for the day, is again showing us how Jesus is the fullness of God, inviting us to contemplate that, And if we will contemplate it, we'll begin to share in it. So what I want to do is read through this story again with you. And I want you to be thinking, this is what God is like. This is the fullness of God. This is what God looks like under the conditions of our world. This this is how God operates. 
We started the reading for the day in 9-1, and it, it says that as he walked along, he sees a blind man. But in the previous chapter, we are told that there's been this dramatic conflict. Jesus has declared that before Abraham was, I am. Which is an odd, odd thing to say. Before Abraham was, I am. Making some kind of claim to pre-existence. And he was met with strange looks, with befuddlement. What, what are you talking about? Abraham has been dead a very long time, and we know who your parents were. And then it says they took up stones to kill him. They're, they're not just befuddled, they're infuriated by what he's claimed. Because either he's insane and he's claiming something that's meaningless, or he's claiming some kind of intimacy with God that no human being should claim. And so they pick up stones to kill him, for either for his lunacy or his blasphemy. And the text says, he hid himself and passed through the midst of them. We don't know what that means exactly, but somehow he kept them from seeing him and passed through the midst of them. And then immediately he sees a blind man. So the image we have, if you read the end of the previous story and the opening of this one, is a Jesus who can't be seen, seeing someone no one else sees. This is what God is like. The one who cannot be seen, the one who's hidden, seeing what is hidden from the rest of us. The text says, as he walked along, the hidden one, he saw a man. He saw a man. No one else sees this man. This man is a beggar. This man is a marginalized character. His own family holds him at the margins. Almost certainly because they suspect that he is blind because he has sinned in some way. So not only the power brokers of the society, his own parents do not see this man. And yet Jesus sees Jesus sees, and we know, as we've already heard the story read, the man is going to be healed, but it is absolutely essential that you realize he's not healed because of his faith. He's not healed because of his obedience. He's not healed because he seeks Jesus out. We have stories throughout the Gospels of people hearing about Jesus' miracles and coming to him seeking one of their own, but not in this case. In this case, you have a blind man begging for coins Jesus sees him, and before the man says a word or even knows that Jesus is there, Jesus is ready to heal him. Because this is what God is like. Long before you see God, or call on God, or desire God, much less submit to God and obey God, God sees you. God sees you. Now, in some places, we've talked about God seeing us in ways that are, are kind of frightening. Like God is a surveillance system kind of watching our lives. He knows what you do in secret, right? But that's not how God sees. God sees your humanity when no one else sees it. God's vision of you is not a kind of exposure. God doesn't expose you. His vision of you doesn't strip you bare. It's not surveillance. It's intimate acquaintance. He knows you. He sees you. And, and all of us, to be human, is at, at some point to need to be seen, to need to be known. You've been in those moments, intense moments of conflict 
and difficulty, when you're trying to communicate your heart and the other person or the other people just can't hear you, they just can't see you, God is the one who sees and hears. He's the one who understands what you can't even put into words about yourself. Jesus sees this man, but notice the disciples do not see the man. They see what they've been told to see about blind men. They don't see the man. They see his blindness, and they see it through the filter of everything they've been taught about how disease like this and handicaps like this and disabilities like this come. Who sinned, they ask, this man or his parents? Now, they must have been so proud. I mean, I I teach theology. I, I see the kind of pride that students have when they ask good questions. The disciples must have been so proud. They're so broad-minded here. They're they're offering the possibility of two choices. We don't want to be judgmental. We don't want to be Pharisees. We know that it might not have been this man's sin. Maybe his parents sinned. But you know, that's the problem with the way we see the world. We don't see one another. We see one another through the filters of what we've been told caused the conditions we live in. We don't see the poor. We see people who aren't working hard enough. We don't see those who are losing their marriage. We see people who weren't willing to do what it takes to make it through. We don't see people who are sick and suffering. We see people who just don't have enough faith. If they just had enough faith, they, they would come to Jesus and he would heal, he would heal them. And then when we're in that situation, we can feel that kind of judgment happening to us. When you're the one suffering, you can feel the ways in which people, you can sense it in their tone of voice, you can see the look on their face, where they're they're sympathizing with you up to a point. But then there's there's a level of them that's hidden and reserved in which they're thinking, yeah, but if if you really wanted out of this situation, if you were really open to God, if you were really serious about your walk with God, or serious about your marriage, or serious about your children, or serious about getting off of this drug or alcohol, if you're really serious about changing your way of life, it could happen. But that's not how Jesus sees. That's how sin infects our vision so that we see. Jesus sees a man, and the disciples see the disease, the handicap, the judgment, the stigma, And Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. In other words, bad question. Don't be proud. You're asking the wrong question. Neither he nor his parents sinned. This sickness is for the glory of God. Now let me really quickly say, that does not mean, do not take this to mean, that God made him to be blind so that later God could open his eyes. That's a parlor trick. God does not with his left hand, make something wrong so that with his right hand he can set it right. He didn't make this man blind so that it would give Jesus an opportunity to show what he could do. Again, that's a trick. When it says that this is so that God's glory might be revealed, what it means is the man's brokenness is the very condition for God's will to be done in the earth. Not that God gives him the blindness. Blindness happens. And we have to always, until the very end of everything, we have to keep this distinction between what happens in the world and what God is doing. There's what happens. Some people prosper and some people do not. Some people are healthy, quote-unquote, and other people are unhealthy, quote-unquote. 
Some people make it and others do not make it. That's what happens. But what we're supposed to see is what God is doing in what is happening. And what Jesus sees is here's a man who is born blind. Not because God made him blind, but because that's the kind of thing that happens in our world. But that blindness and the judgment that comes with it in his society, and and make no mistake, it's about both of those. Not just that he's blind, but that people therefore stigmatize him. That is the very condition for God to act. Because God is only interested in doing what will reveal the ways, in, the ways in which his love is at odds with what we think matters. In, in Romans, we've been reading through Romans during this season of Lent. And in Romans, over and over again, Paul makes the point, Christ dies for the ungodly. He only comes for us while we're sinners. He only seeks lost sheep. He only raises the dead. So if you're not a sinner, dead, lost sheep, or an enemy of God, there's no hope for you. (laughs) There's no hope for you unless you're lost. You won't be found. There's no hope for your eyes to be open unless you're blind. This is why at the very end, and we'll return to this in a moment, at the very end, he says to the Pharisees, if you were blind, it wouldn't be a problem. Your problem is not that you're blind. That's a good thing. Your problem is that you think you see. God is not troubled by our sins. He's troubled with our unwillingness to acknowledge our sins. Our sins he can deal with. What's hard to deal with is our unwillingness to know that we need help. Jesus says, I didn't come for those who are well. I came for those who are sick. Only the sick need a physician. But of course, we're all sick. Everyone is sick. It's just that only a few of us ever realize that we're sick. And so he's offering his healing to people who think they do not need it. They don't. Why would I need to be healed? I'm well. Why would I need my eyes opened? I see. Surely we're not blind, are we? Yes. Yes, you are. That's the point. So throughout the gospel and in the story, you you constantly see these subversions, these ironies, these paradoxes. Where what you think is happening isn't, and what you think isn't happening is. Because, one, the fullness of God doesn't look at all like what we thought it would look like. And the process of transformation doesn't play out at all like we thought it would. Jesus is the fullness of God, and everyone is disappointed with that. Not just his enemies, not just the Pharisees, not just the Sadducees. His disciples are disappointed with that. Because when the fullness of God comes into our world, it isn't what we want it to be. Because our wants are diseased. Our wants are conflicted and rotten and broken. So when God is present, we don't know to want it. We're wanting something else. And then when we submit to it, when we say, all right, I'm ready to follow you, whatever this means, However strange it is, I'm ready to follow you. The process of our transformation doesn't happen like we want it to happen. We want God to heal us and make us right now. And we want to dictate the terms of our own transformation. I want to be this kind of person. God, make me like this. But it never works that way. I don't mean to be the bearer of bad news, but it never works that way. One way of thinking of it like this is like this. Whatever you're praying for God to do in your life, he won't do. He'll do something better. Amen. Whatever you're asking for is not going to happen. 
because he's going to do something better. Now keep asking. Keep asking because that asking is important posture to live in. But he's not going to do it, not like you think he is. Because he's up to something you can't imagine to ask for. What he wants for you is better than you think you deserve. You wouldn't know to ask for it because that's beyond what you can ask or think or dare to imagine. And what I love about this blind man is his rigorous honesty. There's no pretension in this beggar. And I think it's because he's lost so much, he has nothing to protect. He's a beggar whose parents don't defend him. He has nothing left to protect. And so he doesn't even pretend to be a disciple. Now, if you've grown up in Pentecostal charismatic circles, we love to talk about miracles as the way that God shows up and proves that he is real. But then if you read the Gospels, that's not how miracles work. Notice what happens. Jesus heals a man who was born blind. And nobody, including the man who's healed, believes. They're not even sure it's the same man. I mean, the first argument they have is, wait a minute, is this the guy who was blind last week? And some are saying, no, no, it's definitely not him. And he keeps saying, no, it's me, it's really me. And they're like, can't be you. You can see, we're talking about a blind man. Right, so Jesus heals the man, and nobody's even sure what's happened. And then they get to the theological arguments. And the Pharisees divide from one another over it. Some of them say, well, clearly he's from God because he healed the man. He opened his eyes. Nobody can do that but God. And the others say, no, he did it on the Sabbath day. So that can't be right. So they're fighting with each other. And the man's parents say, yeah, he's, he can see, but ask him. We want no part of, of this debate. The man himself does not know. There's that, that line where they, they ask him again, how did he open your eyes? Is, is he a prophet? Is he Messiah? And he says, I don't know what to tell you. All I know is I was blind and now I see, which is not a confession of faith. He's just being honest. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know who the man is. I wasn't looking for him. I wasn't praying for anything. I was asking people to drop coins in my cap, and all of a sudden, some guy put mud on my face and said, go wash it off, and you'll be able to see. What did I have to lose? I can't see anything. So I went and washed, and now I can see. That's it. But, but that's what faith actually looks like. Faith is tightly, tightly bound up with just being honest about what's happening in your life. I don't know what God is doing, but if he puts mud on my face and tells me to go wash it off, I'll go wash it off. I don't know. In fact, what's striking about this passage, and I wish we had time to tease it out, is that the man makes three denials, exactly like Peter will make. Three times the man says, I don't know, I don't know. I don't know, but it's not faithless denial. It's simple acknowledgement of, I don't know what God is doing. And that marks an authentically faithful life. Because most of the time, not only will you not know what's happening to you, you really won't know what God is doing in what's happening to you. And faith is not making claims about what you hope is happening. Faith is acknowledging, I don't know what's going on, and I don't know what God is doing, but I trust that he is acting in what is happening to me. And so the man can see, 
the man is trying to convince everyone else that it's him and that he can see. And then you have that hilarious scene where he says, I told you this already. Why do you want me to tell it to you again? Oh, you want to be his disciples. Now, I, there are a couple of ways of reading this. One is this, this man is really slow. And he honestly doesn't realize what their intentions are. And the other is that he's really clever. And he's mocking them, which is the one I like, right? I prefer to think that this, that this man is really bright. And he's mocking these people who've, who have marginalized him. But all that builds up to the second confrontation with Jesus. And this, this is, for me, one of, the, one of the most striking details in this story. The text says, verse 35, Jesus heard they had driven him out. And when he found him, he found him. Now, the first time, Jesus is walking along and sees him. But this time, Jesus hears that they drove him out. And Jesus seeks him out. Jesus finds him to have another conversation. This, this is crucial to knowing how God works. When we say that God sees us and hears us, and that he seeks us, he's seeking us precisely to heal what has been done to us. I mean, we, we are all sinners, that's true. But there are two other realities deeper than that that we can never forget. We are sinners. All of us are sinners. That's, that's how we are conditioned to receive the work of God. But more deeply than we're sinners, we're sinned against. Every human being who comes into this world comes into a world already the victims of other people's wrongs. And all of you, all of you in here are sinners. But more deeply than that, all of you are people who have been wronged by others, intentionally or not, whether they did it from good motives or bad, whether they knew what they were doing or they had no idea what they were doing. You have been wronged. You have been sinned against. You have been wounded. You have been cut and lost and abandoned and forgotten and cursed. But there's another reality deeper than that. And that is that you are known by the God who brings you into being in love. And he's seeking you not to deal with your sins only, but more deeply to deal with the ways you've been sinned against. He's seeking you not so you will be made right and all of your guilt will be taken away, although that's true. But more deeply than that, he's seeking you to heal the wounds that have been inflicted in you that give rise to your own sins. And any message of the gospel that's only interested in dealing with your sins and not the ways you've been sinned against isn't the gospel. And he's coming to know you and to, to know you in a way you will know that you are known. So he asked this man, and I love this, he says, do you believe? Do you believe in the Messiah? And this, this blind man says, well, I would. I don't know where he is. <laughs> Show him to me. And I'll believe. And Jesus says, here I am. And the text says the man worshipped him and believed. And what I love about this is, again, the man is not pretending his way into a better future. He doesn't even realize who has healed him, obviously. Here's the man who opened my eyes. Now he's asking me if I believe in the Messiah. He doesn't jump to conclusions. He doesn't read between the lines. He just says, 
Well, I would. I don't know where he is. This is the way we have to be about God's work in our life. God is not wanting us to put a positive spin on anything. Faith is not spin. Faith is not claiming, I think God is doing this, when you don't know. Faith is saying, God, if I see it, I'll submit to it. If you make it clear, I'll respond. And the man says, show him to me and I'll believe. Jesus says, I'm, I'm he. And he believes. And right in that moment, then Jesus gives a revelation. And we're at the heart of the paradoxes and the subversions, the reversals, the ironies. Jesus says, I have come that those who are blind may see. And those who see may be blind. Now that's an odd message. Now we know the good news of the first part. Those who are blind may see. But how is it good news that those who see are made blind? Because we're talking about two kinds of vision. He's come so that those who cannot see what God is doing and can only see what is happening to them will have their eyes opened to the kingdom, have their eyes open to the good and the true. And those who cannot see anything but what the world tells them to see, those who cannot see anything but what is happening, they need to be blinded to all of that so they can actually see what God is doing. Because the kind of healing God brings doesn't just open us up to the kingdom, it closes us off to the lies of the enemy. Let me show you how this works in Isaiah 42. I'm almost done. Isaiah 42. This is a gigantic Bible. Look at this. I borrowed this. So I would, this, this gives you a greater anointing. If you're, the, the, the size of your Bible is related to that. Right? Yes. Isaiah 42. But it's borrowed, right? Listen, you who are deaf, and you that are blind, look up and see. And again, notice, notice the paradox here. Listen, you who cannot hear anything. Look up and see, those of you who have no eyes to see. Who is blind but my servant? Or deaf like my messenger whom I send? Who is blind like my dedicated one? Or blind like the servant of the Lord? But this is not a way we're used to describing Jesus. No one's blind like he is. No one's deaf like he is. He sees many things but does not observe them. His ears are open, but he does not hear. How is this good news? Because Jesus in knowing you, God in knowing you, does not see any of the lies or hear any of the lies that you believe about yourself or that other people believe about you. When God knows you, he cannot know you as you want to be known, because that's a lie. He cannot know you. He cannot know you the way other people think you are. He doesn't see your image as you've made it. He doesn't see the stigma other people have put on you. He doesn't hear yourself talk. He hears his word about you. He sees his image in you. When God knows you, he sees only the truth about you. 
And everything that the enemy has brought into your life in the ways you've been sinned against and the ways that you've sinned. God is not interacting with that. He's interacting with who he made you to be. Don't be afraid. You are known by a God who cannot be fooled. And that's good news. He sees past all of your pretensions. Your pretensions to holiness and your pretensions to weakness. He sees past all of the things you've imbibed from the lies around you. And he sees you as you are in him. And if you can recognize that God's knowledge of you is more compassionate than you could ever be with yourself, it's more gentle than you could ever be with yourself or anyone else could ever be with you, precisely because it's so truthful and just, you could open yourself up to what God wants in your life. Because here's what I think how sin holds us. Sin holds us because we're afraid of the goodness of God. That ultimately, what we're afraid of is that we're not who God says we are. That we are who we think we might be in our worst moments. That we are who other people have said we are in their worst worst moments. Our worst fear is that we are ugly and that that's the deepest truth about us, that we are broken and that's the deepest truth about us, that we are liars and thieves and beggars. But God doesn't see that. He's deaf to all that and blind to all of that. And what he sees is the humanity he created in you and the identity that he has given to you and the future that he has for you. And if you can see him knowing you that way, it transforms you. If you can live knowing that you are not who you say you are, or who they say you are, but who he says you are, if you can trust that, if I can trust that, and it's not easy, there's nothing harder than trusting that, but if I can trust that, I can know the kind of peace that he offers. It's not a kind of peace that keeps stuff from happening to me. I'm still going to live in a world where stuff happens, where things do not go my way. But I can live in that world knowing that I'm known. Knowing that I'm known. I'm ending with this. The the previous week, the story, last week's story in the gospel, was the story of the woman at the well. Remember, she comes to the well. I'm not going to preach that whole sermon, but... When she's done, she goes back to the city. You remember what she tells them? Come see someone who said, who's told me everything I've ever done. Well, no, he didn't. All he said is, the man you're living with now is not your husband, and you've had five husbands before. But what she sensed is that he knows me. And what set her free, and one of the things I love about that story, is she leaves her water pot. Water pot and runs back to the city. She forgot everything that she had been doing. She came to the well to get water, and then she was known. 
and her life never recovered. And my prayer for you is that you will know that you are known just like that. You are known just like that. You are seen just like that. And nothing else anybody says or you say about yourself matters when this one speaks about you. Let me pray. God, thank you for knowing us, for seeing past all of the pretensions we make to who you've made us to be. God, my prayer for my brothers and sisters in this room is that they will know that they are known and rest in that knowing. God, that they, they'll stop listening to their own voice and the voices of others around them, voices of accusation, which are voices of the enemy, and hear your word, that they are loved, that they are delighted in, that they are rejoiced over, and that they're called to live that same fullness. I pray this in the name of the Son and by the Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Sanctuary Church. If you're in the Tulsa area, we invite you to attend one of our weekend services on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10 a.m., or 11.30 a.m. If you would like more information about who we are and what we're about, or to partner financially with what God is doing through Sanctuary, you can go to our website at SanctuaryTulsa.com. You can also download our mobile app from the App Store and Google Play. We hope you'll join us next week. Grace and peace.